0: Hello and welcome to the Texas Dental Practice Podcast brought to you by Excite Realty. My name is Drew Etheridge and I'm your host. It's episode 30, the Todd Gurley edition. And today we are joined by Mike Newhouse of HM General Contractors. Mike and I talked for a while. It is a pretty long episode, but it's got some really great information in it on things that contractors are really looking at and talking with you through and just advice that he has from his 18 years of running a business as a medical contractor so i think you're really going to enjoy it as always please subscribe share like do whatever you got to do we appreciate the support it's continuing to grow week to week so man can't tell you how much i appreciate it like i say every time enjoy episode 30 All right, episode 30. I'm joined in studio by Mike Newhouse with HM General Contractors. Mike, thank you for coming in, joining me. Thanks for having me, Drew. I appreciate it. So let's hop into it. One, just give us your background and then uh, talk to us more about HM General Contractors, how you help doctors, and give us the spiel. Great, I appreciate it.
1: A little bit about HM, uh, we've been in business, we, we, we focus solely on, on medical construction, dentists, optometrists, MDs, veterinary practices. Uh, we're based here in Houston, and I've been doing this for 18 years, almost 19 years. Um, so we, we do a lot of lease spaces if a client's looking to lease a space, whatever size. Uh, and we also have a robust, uh, uh, Ground up uh, division as well. And we do anywhere from four to, to six. Uh, you know, usually single owner occupant. Usually doctors that are that are that are either coming out of a lease and wanting to buy a land and get an ownership, or you know, uh, or specialists that are looking to go straight into some ownership. Uh, and that's our that's been our niche. Uh, we 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 we've, we've been very blessed to work with you know literally hundreds of, of clients during that time frame. Uh, We're also a full design build firm. So we have an architectural division. We have a couple of architects on staff. Uh, We're very proficient at floor planning and creating full construction documents, interior design. Um, So we do that separately and and then goes into permitting and then into construction. Uh, We've been nationally recognized for uh, a number of projects. The American Dental Association's uh, new practice design of the year in 2015. Um, We've been on the cover of many of the dental trade magazines and we've been in like women's OD nationally several times over that time frame. So we've got a really good team in place. It's not just me, I, I run things and I'm kind of the visionary. And the founder, we have got a really good team in place to help our clients to, you know, to, to have a, a good process as far as from design all the way through permitting, construction, and seeing patients.
0: Yeah. Uh, I will say that, you know, Mike and his team over at HM, the, most of my clients have, have used you guys. And for one, like you said, it's not just you. It is impressive to go through the office and see their design studio um, and, and look at some of the past projects and see how big the team is and how big of an operation it is. And I know walking through there, there's a lot of people you're not seeing as well, um, superintendents, things like that that are out of the office. But it, it is quite set up. And uh, to your point, I know you've been recognized, but you guys do. And I'm not telling you this just because you're on here. You guys do fantastic work. I know when when clients ask us uh, who to recommend, you know, you guys pop up, and, and it's for a reason, and it's because we know we can trust the quality of work you guys are going to do. But we know they're in good hands as far as uh, the design aspect as well. And then the, the tail end of what you just said was running it through permitting and things like that and, and making sure it's kind of done on time. It's big for uh, us. That's probably one of the most important things is we want to make sure that our clients are protected on that sort of thing, where we're not losing time, and then me as the real estate person has to go back and try to negotiate more time for build out, or it comes up that the doctor's having to pay extra money. It's all things that are fears of mine going in on project with a contractor. I don't really know, and uh, so I I know that it's in good hands over at HM. On the ground up portion, I know recently one of our uh, clients you finished, it was uh, 12,000 square feet. Is there kind of a a sweet spot that you're seeing for doctors who, because I know we have some established doctors who are listening, is there kind of a sweet spot for them on the size of buildings that are going up uh, standalone? Is it more standalone just the practice or is it more they're leasing out part of the space for themselves and then leasing out the rest of it third party? Well, I it, think
1: it's a little situational. We've had some clients where it's just literally a single owner occupant uh, where the, the doctor is not so inclined to get into a larger building where they have lease space and so forth, or the property they're looking at is, is limited. And that's kind of one of the first things you're looking at when you're looking at buying a property is, you know, how big of a building and parking lot can I actually put on, put on the property. So we've done a number of those kind of single owner occupants I you know I'm all about business and helping our clients to be successful. So and we do some development as well. Um, so I'm I'm always looking, asking my clients, uh, and pushing them a little bit, and, and looking at the bigger picture over the next the, the the rest of their career and their lifelong you know financial goals and so forth. With the uh, the twelve thousand square foot one, it was a pediatric dentist, it was Dr. Shelton. Mm-hmm. She she ended up going in about forty five hundred square feet and. And the rest of it is lease space. And it makes a huge, it's a, it makes, uh, that's the, the, the third part of the puzzle, I think. So you're getting out of the lease space and you're getting into some ownership that increases the practice of your value, number one, whether you're going to sell it in 10 years or 15 years or whatever, and if it's just a single owner occupant if you're owning that building, you can lease it out. So if you're older, you could sell the practice and kind of cash out and then have you know mailbox money for 15, 20 years, right. whatever you want to do. Or you could sell the whole thing. It gives you a lot of flexibility. Um, it's not for everybody, but I think it makes a lot of sense. We've done a couple here recently where it was smaller, where they could just get like a 2,000 square foot lease space, but that's golden. I mean, that's yeah. 2,000 square foot that you're leasing out that's going towards your node. You know, I think you should... I, I always push to... Uh, not self-serving. Of course, we want to build as much as we can because we're builders, uh, but it makes a lot of financial sense for those doctors to, to have, even if it's 2,000 square feet, 2,500 square feet. I and mean, then we've done a couple recently, and Dr. were mentioned in another uh, strip center that were, you know, doctor owned, and, and doctor owned projects. So,
0: yep. Uh, that's good. You know, we, we talked about, it is kind of sickening sometimes when the doctors see, um, what they're paying in rent for 10 years and, and what they've put into it, um, you know, in construction and, uh, equipment and all this and, and to see that's a lot of money going out the door. And so, yeah, if you can swing it, you know, there's, it's a different lending and, uh, it, it's a longer process, but if you, you know, if you can swing it financially and you have the, uh, the patience and, uh, I'm sure you could throw some other, uh, adjectives in there, but the, uh, wherewithal to do it, then uh, yeah, it makes a ton of sense financially. You still don't, it doesn't mean just go, you know, let's go buy any piece of land. We got a lot of homework to do. There's still a lot of things to negotiate there, but, um, it is a trend. I think we're seeing more of, um, on our end of doctors who are interested in it. And it, a lot of times it's existing um, it, it's doctors who have an existing practice, but we are starting to see younger doctors who are finding ways of doing it after only a couple of years um, of working. So um, I guess let's jump into one of the questions I like the most, which is when you're sitting down with someone or talking with them for the first time and then I guess in, in construction, as you're working through the process, what are some common misconceptions um, and some frequently asked questions you get um, from potential clients? Um, common misconceptions that I see
1: uh, is a client that's coming to me and, and you know and they've not ever been in practice. Say it's a startup practice, and the client's never really a, a general dentist. Uh, and they're not sure how much space they, they need. So maybe they've had a friend that's in a smaller space, but maybe it's a more urban practice and it's more cash. Uh, it's very situational to where they're at. Or a specialist who's never really practiced on their own, like an orthodontist or a pediatric dentist, and go back, I'll just keep using Dr. Uh, uh, Shelton as an example. She's, she went into 4,500 square feet in her own building, um, but that would apply to a lease space as well. That was more space than she initially wanted, just like 3,000 square feet. But the uh, as a pediatric dentist in a suburban area, there's really no room for growth. Mm. So I think that's a common misconception where, where people will come to us and say, I'm only going to, as an optometrist, I'm only at least 1,500 square feet in a suburban area. It's just not enough to, to grow out. And you know, you got to, I encourage my clients to do, to, to talk to other professionals, to talk to Drew, to really look at, hey, what are kind of, what, why is just the average more square footage than this it's really it's always economically based it's it's so that you can grow your practice after two or three years you're not capped out where you can't physically see enough patients to grow mm-hmm. so i think that's one of the things we see a lot yeah uh, you know just You know, not understanding how big of the space should be and the why, or or, and it can be and there's and it's it's and it's situational. And so you know, there's urban practices versus suburban practices, and lease spaces can be a lot more pricey in certain areas. And so maybe that is a consideration. Hey, let's shave this back three hundred square feet or whatever, but it's still functional. It it still allows for five to ten years worth of growth, and that you're not just capped out. But I think it's just a lot of education and working with our clients. And then you know, ultimately letting them make the decisions. But we try to give them as much information as we can, based on our experience and uh, of doing hundred, hundreds of practices. And and you know, we want our clients to be successful. And I'd hate for them. Is, uh, I'd hate to be in any business where you're you set out with the, these audacious goals, and then at three years you realize I've really kicked some butt here and I've done really well, but I can't grow. Yeah. You know, I'm stuck. And yeah. that's not you know nobody wants to be in that position.
0: And it's on our side. It's one of the toughest things to get right uh, up front, and um, and it's it's no fault of anybody's because you're asking, uh, you're saying, "Hey, here's what we typically see. Uh, Does this fit your your mold? Here's what we see and why." But also, you know, we we can predict what we think you should be doing in growth, but there's some people who say, "You know what? I've got you know my four ops and." I don't want to go any further than that. And if we, you know, bit off more than we chew up front uh, and, and you have room for eight ops, then we really messed up. Um, but roles reversed if, uh, you know, you thought you only wanted a small practice and then you get into it and you're going, man, I would really like to double in size. We may get lucky. That nail salon next door may go out of business and, or their lease may come up. But, um, you know, that brings a lot of... Uh, that's a lot of luck and brings up a lot of challenges. I know one, uh, another uh, misconception I would say, uh, especially in how it relates to size, would be um, we get people in here who think that all construction budgets fall, like if I'm building out 1,500 square feet compared to that 4,500 square feet, uh, some people think it all kind of is the same, right? Um, economies of scale would tell us otherwise and in, in how much you can save on ordering more material and things like that. So, um, I would assume that a frequently asked question you get is, um, price per square foot, probably right off the bat, what are you charging? Um, I know that that's not something that can be answered. I think, you know, it would be a good idea on here to just cover. Um, you know, what do you usually talk to people about when that comes up as far as economies of scale and how little bits of design changes here and there can fluctuate the price of their build out?
1: Sure, sure. And that is, that's a common discussion we have. We, I had it this morning with a client looking at some space in San Antonio. Um, two points you made that are really good is one is that the planning on if I'm Drew's getting me a lease space. Um, uh, you know, I can always grow into the space next door on either side, but you really can't plan on that at all. I mean, it's, it's unusual that that would work out when you needed that space and for it to be open. Um, you know, it's just it's it's kind of an outlying. It's just kind of a guess. So I don't think it's a good way to approach the, the, these. But if you, you know, you always want to design a practice if that's the case. Is how could you tie in in the future? Is the waiting room easily just break down a wall and we can open up to the next space? And in our programming, we think about that, but it's really not a good business plan because it's an unknown, mm-hmm. and it'll be in you can get right a first refusal on a lease, which means you as a tenant can you know get to look at it, but the timing and so forth. And sometimes it works out, but it's just not a very good business strategy to plan on that occurring. Um, and then. And the second part of that so you, you see how I carefully avoided the answering the question about cost. <laughs> <laughs> right. As now, you should. Uh, but and you know, this is what I tell all my clients is it's early on and, and I in every court everybody has a budget and you know, what whatever it is and uh, you really are on a lease space, so if the excite Realty is looking for a lease space and we really, we, there's a lot of questions Look at it, it's 2,500 square foot, is it new construction? If that means it's not ever been built before, or is it a remodel where maybe we can use air conditioning units and electric service and some things that are there. Maybe the bathrooms just need to be remodeled, but you can make them look like the Taj Mahal, but really not redo the plumbing, and things like that. And you could save some, you know, that could affect your budget. Uh, what Drew was talking about, economy of spaces, if, you, you know, if you're coming and you're building a lease space, and it's just 1,500 square feet versus, versus like 4,500 square feet or even six or 7,000 square feet, I find a lot of times it's, 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 it's what the clients have, have heard. You know, you're talking to your friends or maybe your family members or MDs or dentists and you're kind of talking to them, but they're not looking at the specifics of that space. And there's a, there could be a wide variance of, if it's a mid-level building, for instance, versus new you know, new construction versus remodel, Versus you know what your needs are. Are you a dentist that's going to put in med gas, are or are you a dentist who's not going to use med gas? You can use portable. Um, it, there's just a lot of variables, and then your taste. I mean, you, the the clients have have control over a segment of the budget as far as their their the materials that we're using. If we're, if we're gonna if we're gonna use just top of the line, you know, uh, exotic materials or or more upgraded materials, of course that'll affect your budget. And uh, Specifically, what Drew was mentioning was economy of uh, space, and, and and it's it's very true, and it's always it's a truism. If it's a new construction space, uh, fifteen hundred square feet is always going to cost more per square foot. Well, a lot of people are again are talking to different their peers and so forth. and am like, "Well, I built out, and it was so much a square foot," and they talk to somebody else who's built out. Maybe they talked to a, a buddy who's got a seven thousand square foot Medicaid practice. That's real. Very basic, and it's 7,000 square feet, so there's a huge amount of economy of space. And what that guy's paying is maybe 20 or 30 dollars less a square foot than what you're paying, even if you built something kind of comparable. But this, if it's smaller, um, you, you just don't have the empty space. And it's a hard concept to put out there, but you have a lot more open space where there's nothing there that's there, it's just more open space. You certainly have more walls and more square footage of flooring and so forth, uh, but uh. It's, it's a direct scale that's, relation, that's in relationship to the, the square footage of, of the space that you're going into. I think that's a, that's a long answer. but so we tell our clients up front, look, um, if they're going into a, a, a certain area, we know it's a retail space, we know the parameters from the landlord. We get an idea of how many chairs are used in med gas. Um, and you know how, what, what type of cabinets are we going to build as a builder and develop for you and put in? you know what is your style and so forth mm-hmm. maybe you're going really contemporary and it's kind of light on you know it's 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 kind of a, it's kind of light on materials there's no trim work or anything it's kind of a clean contemporary design that can ha- that can help your budget um, so we go through some discovery with our clients and then let them know hey right now these projects are averaging you know between about low end this much per square foot to anywhere uh, I hate to give out numbers um. Hmm. It, it, so, but don't do it. it so it, I'm not going to no reference. Uh, gonna episode Thirty. But I, but I will say, and this is it's not evasive. But like it, these larger it was, like, dental practices, Medicaid practices uh, that are just lighter on design and so forth, and, and their scale is larger, six thousand square feet. You know, those can be built for eighty dollars a square foot you know, or seventy-eight dollars a square foot. But if you're building a twenty-five hundred square foot space in a in a in a suburban area, a new center, and so forth these averages uh, competitive averages now 105 110 on the bottom end uh, anywhere to you know 130 depending on the parameters and and it's it's, it's just key to the you know that setting an expectation of what exactly are you' doing here because in, in my business if, if my last point on this in my business we're really competitive and you know and I appreciate our clients just like Drew's clients will talk to different you know builders and, and different architects and so forth. And, you know, it, it, early on, it's it's uh, it's easy to give a lower number and say, hey, you know, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, we can do it. But we try to approach it from the other end, from the from the from the, from the working at the end of the project, what it's actually going to cost. We we try to give our clients real information. And we our my philosophy after doing this for as long as I have is. Is you know we if we if we lose a client early on like that at least we gave them honest information and they and that they can utilize during that build or their next one and you know and 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 that's okay yeah. you know we're happy to kind of be consulted like that and give realistic information and not just try to not just sell people you know, I mean, that's and we find that when clients come to our office if they they maybe they've entered to interviewed two or three. Uh, builders, you know, they've gotten two or three different ideas of what that price structure will be, yeah. and uh, and it's the same project. So <laughs> we really want to be- develop the details, get to know our clients, and see what how they want to practice the specifics of that, their taste, and put all that into account, and then give them a realistic budget based on that.
0: Makes sense. So we'll put a disclaimer that the average numbers given are as of August 2018. And so, uh, don't don't hold you to them. Don't call don't call Mike and say, "Hey, you said that this is what it was going to cost me." Um, but no, and things happen. Like Harvey happened, and we saw an uptick uh, across the board in supplies and um, in cost. And you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so, things come up, things change, and, and um, so those are the same numbers we give out. Um when we first meet with somebody, but we say, Look, I have no idea what your style is. I, I know based on the area we're looking at, I could probably guess about the type of practice you want, but you get into some of these and, and people want to put, you know, chandeliers in the operatories or something, and all of a sudden this is looking like a completely different budget. So um that was great. I think uh let's let's hop into the next bit of um some trends in the dental industry that you're seeing right now that are exciting you?
1: As far as trends that are exciting me, um, I think we've seen a, I think we're seeing a a, a big change in the way of say optometrists are practicing more concierge service. It's more tech driven. uh, And, and I think it's more customer service oriented uh, a lot of the practices that, that, I, that we see, um, and that's exciting to me. I mean, yeah. they're, they're really based on, and they're doing more, much more, in, uh, not invasive, but much more extensive uh, diagnostics and so forth than like an optometrist is. So I think the patients are getting better care. The, the doctors that are practicing like that to the like full scope of their practice can generate a better income for themselves, and they're actually, while providing better patient care, if I'm a client coming in and a patient, yeah run anything you think you need to on me I, I want to know mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know if I've got a family history got yeah, run run those tests, but I think they're getting it's 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 a completely different than just it used to really be retail driven and not so much emphasis on the medical side. I think that's pretty cool I think I think I think the patient cares better and we're getting, we're seeing more contemporary designs and stuff that's exciting to me yeah. And as, some, as a company that does design and layouts, I mean it's it's cool because it's not the same old layout, the same old practice. The things have changed. The size of their of their exam rooms have, have changed. Yeah. Um, the size of their diagnostics, like their pretests and so forth, are larger. So things are kind of evolving, and it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah. But it's not cool. just the same old. Feels like a jewelry store, and there's there's frames up front and so forth. It's it's a little bit different, and then. You know, just across the board with you know, we work with a lot of dentists and a lot of dental specialists. Um, and you know, I I think that those technological trends are uh, carry over to that as well. It's it's interesting to see the new types of of, of, of uh, equipment that they're using, lasers and, and 3D imaging, and and uh, and just more open practices as far as like the feel and the culture of these offices for whatever reason. This kind of vague, but. Uh, maybe it's just a, a generational thing. Uh, there's a lot more energy in them, yep. and and again, this may just be my taste. There's, there's cooler design. There's more more uh, meaty more contemporary transitional design that I think it is 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 uh, is not just put the cheap office up that looks like with the same old crown molding mm. and the same little reception desk with the same opening and you know so so a lot of our clients are getting away from that, um, and uh, I think those. The, the, those trends are just exciting for someone who likes design and likes building stuff that that looks cool at the end of the day. Yeah, and then you know all that's based in functionality, which is the first step. You know, uh, form follows function. You know, lining them up and make sure that makes really lot they are really ergonomic and flow as spectacular as they can flow according to how you as a doctor wants to practice. And I'm always uh, I'm always you know. We don't, we never want to discount what our clients are telling us. You may have practiced in a totally different way, or have totally different ideas of how you want to set up your operatory as a dentist. And um, you know, why can't we flip that room around? You know, yeah. and Why you know, and and why can't we set them in sideways with the doors on the sidewall instead of at the foot of the at the twelve o'clock? No reason you can't. So, our we we try to learn from our clients every week and do things a little bit differently on our end. Uh, uh, you know, it, if it's a really bad idea, we, you know, we're, we'll say, you know, "I don't know how this will flow." You know, right. it's got to function well first, and then we can make it look as as, as cool as we want to, or as you know, how we want that look to look.
0: Nice. Uh, this is not on topic fully, but how many uh, how many fish tanks would you say you're you're seeing get you put in practices these days compared to when you first started. <laughs>
1: Far fewer. Yeah. Far fewer. Put up a nice, uh, you know, high def, uh, screen of yeah. fish if you want, if you want fish. But there's some pediatric dentists that, you know, or orthodox, they'll put them in and, you know, they'll help let the kids feed the fish and, and all that. But it's, it's just a huge hassle. You know, well, i tell you
0: what, at every dentist I've ever gone, had ever gone to in Louisiana. I mean, that was, you walk in fish fishing without question. Uh, I've seen the thing, and if a pediatric dentist wants to steal this, I think it'd be a great idea. Uh, I saw it at, um, oh man, I can't think of the name of the place. It was somewhere in, uh, we went to Gatlinburg uh, a couple months ago with the family, and uh, they had this thing that you could, the kids would color a fish, and then you walk over and you scan it, and then your fish pops up on a fish tank on the screen, uh, the one you colored. Uh, I'm sure it costs an arm and a leg, but um, it kept so many kids entertained. And it was like talked about for the next uh, couple rooms as you walked on. You're like, man, that's cool. Well,
1: you, you they, they spent a ton of money on these fish. I yeah. mean, on the upkeep and in, you know, in the individual fish, the cool ones. Yeah, I didn't think about they're that. They're not cheap. Yeah, <laughs> They're not cheap. So maybe you're up, you're, uh, your startup costs are higher on that. But I think that'd be cool. And what are kids into? What does every kid have in his hand? An iPhone iPad, yeah. they're all about it, man. They, they they would think that was cool as heck, yeah. and they got to be creative and not just look at a dying fish in a fish tank. You, know, yeah. you know.
0: yeah. So anyway, there you go. Pediatric dentist. no fish tanks, no fish tanks. Scan <laughs> your fish in. Um, okay, what about besides a lack of of uh, fish tanks being installed? What are trends that you're seeing in dentistry that are scaring you a little bit? Um. Yeah, I don't know offhand, um, and I've got sure. one that maybe I can I can throw at you if you if you want that, that yeah, comes shoot, up shoot, in my mind. Shoot, shoot, um, it, shoot it at me because we see this on our side with um, the uh, we're trying to get the square footage right, but um, there are groups and consulting groups out there that are really preaching to a lot of um, startups that. The best idea is to uh, cut costs as much as you can on equipment and real estate size. And part of that gets lumped in as construction. Um, And you talked about the ergonomics and and making a good flow. Um, And the concern for me that I would think is you're telling these doctors to cut a lot of this fat, but some of that fat is necessary um, to be comfortable, for patients to be comfortable for your team to work efficiently. Um, one of the biggest things getting cut out to make ops smaller is cabinets and um, some of that storage and things like that. Yeah, so where they're losing functionality. Yep. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing that to you. If you have a better uh, trend that's scaring you a little bit. Well, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because you, you hit
1: several topics there. And I, you know, I address this again. It's one of the things we address with every client that we're talking to. And some of the some of these ideas, like and I and, and I won't mention names, but just like what Drew's talking about, you know, you as a client don't want to overspend. If you don't need it, you don't need it. But if you're losing function because you're taking out um, a, a very functional, like twelve o'clock cabinet in a in a operatory, that's not good. I mean, if you're if it's harder for you and your assistant to work, and it's damaging your 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 wrists and, and, and so forth and you're doing a lot of weird repetitive motions. And we see that because the, the folks in the, in the dental industry, people selling equipment and I don't sell equipment. I do think that, that you need to buy from a, a, an equipment specialist that knows how to set up those rooms. And they've been studying this stuff for, for decades and they can help you as far as the ergonomics and the critical nature of how you're sitting in that chair. But if you're building, um, you know, uh, cheap 12 o'clocks that the delivery is not in the right spot and those rooms aren't set in the right spot and you don't have a side table and so forth. You got to think about this. You're saving a little money, money up up front, but it's making it very hard for you to practice in that room. It's, it's hard on the assistant and you lose function. You're going in and out of that room to grab stuff from somewhere else because you don't have it. Waste of time and money. So, but um, I think, and there's a trend for these more, ergonomic uh, size practices and so forth. And it's just like the Bible of you're going to do this, this, and this, all these really cheap methods to set, start the practice up. And you do want to control cost. Everybody wants to control cost. That's it's not, that's nothing new, mm-hmm. um, but you're doing it. You're slashing the expertise out of the, your IT or out of your equipment specialist and from your builder and architect's thoughts and so forth and doing things that I don't think long-term will help that practice to be the, the, as grow as robustly as it could. And there's things like um, hallways. I'm big on comfort, and, and, and people have studied retail and, and just flow for years and in other situations, too, that applies to practices of all kind. One of the things that they're talking about, is like, well, you can reduce the size of your space by an eight, 18 inches or a foot by the width. you know, Tell Drew to cut it back a little bit. These mm-hmm. consultants will say that. And you end up with a hallway that's four foot wide. And four foot wide, if you're in an office, you can look up and look at a ceiling tile. It's, it's usually two by four foot wide. You can do that and you do it by code. It's extremely uncomfortable for your staff. It's, it kills your function and irritates the bejesus out of your clients. People want, they have a comfort zone. I'm Right now, I've known Drew for several years, but I'm three and a half or four feet away from him because it's my comfort zone. Yeah. And, if, uh, and, and everybody has about three feet. You can't get me and Drew with our comfort zone in a four-foot hallway with traffic going in two directions. That's one of the things that really bothers me about some of these companies that they're going to turn key in and teach you how to save all this money off of it. They're, the first step is we're losing functionality on how that practice is going to work long-term, and it's just not a good place to work. And if I'm a client, I'm not going to come back because I, I just don't like that. I like personal space. Want things to flow. I want them to see more, see more open yeah. and more comfortable to me. Um, I don't know if I'm hitting all the topics there. I've I've, I've done a lot in, in the past at the different schools of optometry and, and, and dental, vet, and so forth, talking about how to put practices together. And I think those are some of the biggest. What in a nutshell, from a business standpoint, and I'm just a, I'm just a dumb guy that builds stuff and, and, and designs stuff. So take it for what it's worth. But in any business, I think that the first and foremost thought should be do a pro forma, look at how you're going to generate income and how you're going to practice and how you're going to make money is equally important or more important than how much you're going to save when you're on your startup costs. And I'm not saying, hey, just spend, I'm extremely conservative on budgets, extremely conservative. If you don't need it, you don't need it. But you can't, you, you you you're, you're. These Some of these consultants, and no offense to any consultants out there, some really good ones out there, but if the sole focus is to do this for 15 cents and you're going to save all this money, what you're going to find is when you get in there, you're going to have to spend money to get those things into your practice, and it may cost you more to design it better in two years or three years when you realize it's isn't working out the way yeah. I like it to, and I don't have enough space. And you're calling Drew and going, Drew, why did you lease me a space that's so small? Yeah. I need more space. And, and I've got to try to get somebody to come in and put more cabinets in, and it's, it's tough to do. It's cheaper, and it's easier and cleaner to do when you're opening up, in and again, and, and so forth. So I think that there's a balance there, but I, I really think there's a lot of, there's, there's some folks out there that are getting, uh, they're, they're buying into something that's not what they think it is. And again, I, I, I'll say it one more time because I think it's so important, is look and plan on what you want to make and how you want to succeed, and how you're going to be successful, and how you're going to be happy ab- about that every day that you're practicing, is more important in my mind than trying to save whatever it is on the front end. Even though that's extremely important, you don't want to spend money that you don't need to spend. You know, you don't. You know, there's there's averages and and talk to Drew and other you know and, and your peers and so forth. Is you know what what's a good average to spend for IT for a sign for equipment? You know, you don't need your startup practice, you don't need three or four rooms worth of equipment. You need a couple of rooms no, <laughs> worth of equipment. True. Maybe three if you've got a big, strong marketing campaign and you know you're going to be busy to begin with. But I, th- I know that's kind of long-winded, but, you know, our whole focus and my whole focus is to make sure that clients have all the information where they can they can be successful.
0: Yeah. No, I don't think it was uh, long-winded. I think it was actually really good. Um, and people should take away from that, you know, a, like you said, basically don't step over dollars to pick up pennies. And, and two, you know, the first people that are going to get complaints about, uh, whether or not the practices was done right, are going to be the real estate guy and the, uh, and the contractor, namely the contractor first. But it, it's a, it's more of a, oh, why didn't you tell me? And we can tell, talk talk to are blue in the face. Um, so I like to get a lot of things in writing, but, uh, uh it is hard to get that square footage right up front and we're you're getting information from a ton of different places but when someone like like Mike who has been in the industry for 18 years you said uh, he's seen it every which way you know so uh take that to heart um i think you you just gave some good advice to potential uh, startup people um as far as on size and things like that. Um, one thing, I've, I typically get people to give advice um, to startups or people who are thinking about relocating or maybe going ground up. Talk to me about what you're seeing timeline-wise um, for someone who wants to, and, and mind you, we're in Houston um, right now, but I know you do work in other markets. So just a time frame. we talk to people on starting up about how, you know, we really need to be in front of it by about 12 to 18 months at a minimum of, you know, starting to do the market study, finding the spot, negotiating. Then we're waiting for the space to be delivered so that your team can come in, um, get permit, and build out. So how long are you seeing on that right now as of August 2018? And then um, same thing with ground up. It's obviously a construction process that takes a much longer period of time. Um, what are you seeing as far as timelines on that? Uh, and just if there's any other advice you have that you want to throw in there, we, we'd welcome it. Sure, uh, I think the one thing would be
1: uh, be wary of of uh, somebody that's giving you real short time frames. Uh, it, it, you want realistic information. I think in Houston, if, if you're building a any kind of a practice in Houston that has to be permitted and go through that process, there's some things to be done concurrently. Like like, like Drew said, you want to get with the architect early on. Is, you know, you're know you in LOI and you know you're going to go to a lease. You want to start developing it then and kind of utilize some of that time. But once it's a green light and, 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 and you know that the, the lease has been signed and you're moving forward, uh, City of Houston you really gotta give it at least six months. And I I almost I say this there's a lot of counties around Houston too that it's easier permitting process. The city of Houston is very difficult to permit in right now. Um, uh, it's taking, you know, eighteen days in between any time they respond to me as somebody that's putting in a permit, they may have a couple of questions. We answer it the next day, we put it back in. They're telling us eighteen days before they even respond to that. So You know, I'm telling clients right now what they don't want to hear is, is this taking at least six weeks to eight weeks to get a permit out of the city of Houston? But there's many areas around Houston, if you're in Harris County, Fort Bend County, Montgomery County, there's a lot of areas that are much simpler. It's like a one-week deal, two-week deal getting a a permit. So that that can can affect your timeline. So any kind of a lease space, uh, depending on the size and complexity, so you really want to give it a minimum of six months. Um, in our at our shop, it's about six weeks to develop plans and get them into to permitting wherever that is, uh, yeah. um, and then depending on the permitting, it could be again it could it could be some it could be one or two weeks to two months uh, before we could get in there, and depending on the situation with the landlord and the, the building. Perhaps we could, uh, a builder can get in there and actually start doing some work as they're as they're permitting. They can only do so much, uh, and that may or may not get you ahead as far as your overall finish date. So I tell a lot of my clients is we could jump in there and put a show on, and you know throw some walls up and, and cut some concrete. But we're going to be stuck in about two or three weeks because we have to get inspections on these things. Mm-hmm. So what I try to encourage my staff and my my clients is just. Is is let's plan and mobilize and be completely ready. And it's almost better to just wait to get the permit in hand, because then it's going to be it's it's going to take a predictable amount of time. Uh, say twenty five hundred square foot dental practice, it'll take about uh, ten weeks for full construction, and then a week or two for equipment, it to come in, final inspections. So that puts you at about five and a half six months. Yeah. Um, opticals are a little bit less equipment heavy. Um, And the construction side on on that usually goes quicker. It's about eight weeks, nine weeks. But the the design and permitting still applies uh, and so forth. So give it some time. And then on ground-ups, it's uh, very situational to where you're building. Uh, Drew could tell you that. I mean, it it really depends on the municipality and whether the land's been developed before or not. If if it's part of a a master plan community and a lot of the things have already been worked out. Um, then it can go faster. I tell all my clients to, to give it about two years, and and that's reasonable. And we've done some, we've done some even in the city of Houston, 12-13 months from the time we started till the time we finished. That's extremely unusual. Yeah, that's, that's extremely unusual, and we that's not something we would promote. I'm using that as an example, and then we've done other projects that were slow developing in Katy in areas where the develop the. the they were supposedly pre-developed, but it really wasn't quite there. There wasn't electric to the site yet. There wasn't, the things that you need for your building weren't in place yet, not from the builder standpoint, from the developer standpoint. And those things that, I've got projects like that, that took two and a half years to fully develop. But we're averaging right now, back to Dr. Shelton, I think, you know, 16, 18 months in uh, okay. yeah. a reasonable so municipality right. in, in the Houston area. Um, and a lot of that's planning. And the construction on, uh, on those, even the small strip centers and buildings, it's it's six seven months. It's actually kind of the easier part when you get into construction and everything's worked out, yeah, and uh, and so forth. So does that That's help?
0: Awesome. Yeah, that helps. helps. Um, all right, we have been talking construction, real estate. Let's let's uh, switch gears. Let's go to the lightning round, and we'll put you on the hot seat. Oh no, are you ready? I'm not ready, but shoot. Okay, first question, same one I always ask. You're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You go in grape, strawberry, or something I maybe I've never heard of. Yeah,
1: strawberry all day.
0: Strawberry, okay. We peanut have,
1: butter on first, then the strawberry on top of that. Toast, right. the, bread. Can toast the bread. You toast the bread. You got to toast the bread. Warm that peanut butter up a little
0: bit. Okay. Well, we're on differing sides here. All right. So we might have to the the, the three foot gap might have to push to five here. I just slid back another foot. <laughs> I'll never uh, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with you group Hey, you take all the strawberry yeah. jelly you want. Uh, and I don't need to wait for it to toast either. I'm, maybe I'm a crazy person to warm that peanut butter up I <coughs> think you're, you're in heaven. Or maybe I need to try this. I'm going to go home tonight. Um, all right. Staying on topic of food. Uh, guilty pleasure midnight snack. So let's say either you're at the house, um, you're going to the, the fridge, the freezer, the pantry, or maybe you're the type of person that, that likes to go fast food, pizza, something like that. What is your guilty pleasure midnight snack?
1: Well, it's usually dairy, ice cream or
0: cheese.
1: Nah. You know, if, if it's a weekend, I'll uh, Uber eat, you know, uh, Indian food. Okay. You know, That's the spicier the better.
0: I like that. I was, I'm an ice cream myself, so.
1: Yeah, ice cream is the go-to. Really.
0: Yeah, it's so good. Uh, so, I, let's stay on topic, guilty pleasure. Um, if you are flipping through the channels or... Uh, and a movie comes on, or maybe there's a TV show that, that you're a sucker for that you would catch some grief about. Mine is uh, Big Brother on CBS. It's a mindless uh, reality show. I hate Big Brother, but I'd be happy to watch The Bachelor with you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so there you go. That's your... Uh, That's,
1: that is. that is. I take a lot of grief, but I have a 21-year-old daughter, and we can kind of relate about The Bachelor, and the Bachelor in Paradise and all that. And it is a total... Uh, S show. So yeah. it's, it, it's interesting. Yeah, I've watched it. Uh, but yeah. I'll, I'll watch just about anything, but that's probably the one I take the most uh, grief from before.
0: And that's okay. I, I respect it. I can live with my shame. Yeah, that's right. And it you makes sure your daughter happy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, what about uh, I, I know that you like music. Um, what? I'm just hopping to the question. Yeah, I, I'm interested to hear your answer because I know you've got a uh, you like going to live shows. I do. Um, so the question I always ask is um, you're setting up a, a one night only concert. You have an opening act, a middle act and a headliner. Could be alive, could be dead any band, any artist, whatever uh, Who's opening, who's middle and who's your headliner?
1: Wow. Man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I like all kinds of new music. It's really tough. And things. no matter
0: what your answer is, you're gonna you're I, gonna kick I'll, yourself. I'm so eclectic because I
1: listen to all kinds of. I like country music. I mean, I like rock and roll. I like you name it. I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, I'd love to see like uh, how about the Highwaymen with Waylon Jennings and and, and all those and. and and Johnny Cash open up the show just for all time state, yeah. for sakes that would be cool as hell um I guess you're gonna edit my hell out um no, the middle fan I would really like to see I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan and I never got to see Led Zeppelin and uh I would love to I, I think that probably they need to be the headliner I think that yeah, would be so bump them the headliner that'd be the headliner um man I don't know I I, I don't know uh you know, how about some cheesy '70s music? Uh, hit me with it. Uh, oh man, who could we stick in there?
0: I don't know, Drew. Who would you take? Who would you put in there? Well, see, I've 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 answered this, uh, and if and if you want to hear my my full answers, I put myself on the hot seat on episode I don't know twenty, but um, I regretted my answers after. But I said I'd open with Jimi Hendrix. I love Jimi Hendrix, and. Uh, And then the other two that I said, it was more of like a... I've seen them both multiple times. So it was more like, who do I just appreciate musically? Um, John Mayer's on there. Um, Because I think he's one of the greatest guitarists, definitely of this generation, um, but possibly of all time. Uh, You know, he's got that Stevie Ray Vaughan uh, kind of style about him. So if you could like collab that, uh, that'd be great. And then I, this is one of those you, you catch grief about. I put Bruno Mars in there. And if I could go back and fully answer, I think I'd I'd get uh, a collab with somewhere in there, you throw some Prince and somewhere in there, you throw some James Brown. Uh, that's what I was going to
1: say. Bruno Mars with Prince and James Brown on stage. That'd be like, that'd be amazing. Right. So. Amazing. And I'm, I'm kind of an old punk rocker. I don't know if Drew knows that. Uh, maybe I think, maybe I stick the Ramones in there in the middle, okay. who, I, who I got to see. I got to see the original lineup of the Ramones. Wow. And, uh, you know, just for nostalgia, that would be cool to, to stick them in the middle. Or some other punk band.
0: Uh, somewhere. Or The Clash. A, I have a Ramones album signed by... Uh, like what's the main Ramones album the, the black cover with the white letters it's they're just, all leaning them on the wall it's just the
1: Ramones isn't it
0: it could be uh I have one signed by all four of them really Now uh, I gotta find that we just moved, and I have no idea where it is but uh, it's pretty cool uh, little collectible so sweet um but there could be a hundred bands in there I know you could do it forever but uh it is just fun to see what people like and, and uh Where they go with that, but it's a tough question. So, Um, and then last thing I like to talk about with people on on the lightning round is, I know you're a a sports fan. Um, Who are your teams? Did you did you grow up in Houston? I did, but I'm a Texan. I grew up in
1: Amarillo, Texas. That's right. So I grew up a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I've I've outlived that (laughs) friendship. So oh, guilty I always, pleasure, formerly yeah. cowboy fan, mm-hmm. formerly because everybody was, uh, um, and and then I always liked the Oilers, and then became more of an Oilers fan as I got as I got older, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I've been a Texan season ticket holder since day one, since they, oh, they that's awesome. since they, they they franchised, and uh, so I'm a big, you know, I go to other sports events, I really like pro football, uh, and and follow pro football, um, we go to some Astros games. Like, yeah. I like the Astros. Uh, but watching a, like, a lot of different baseball games, I just can't do it time-wise. I have ADHD or something. Yeah. I cannot sit there. And I think my wife can only sit through about six innings of any game. Yeah. So that kind of that kind That's about it. But that's really about it. I mean, I'm not a big hockey fan. Or, yeah. you know, I'll watch anything. The U.S. Gymnastics champions were on, chips were on last night. And so I was tuning in and seeing that's how everybody that. was doing. I thought, Got to support her local girl Simone. And, you know. Oh, that's right, and she won so, her fifth national championship.
0: That's it's not breaking news on this podcast, but uh, that is, I did not hear that, so that's cool. I didn't that know is cool, she, fifth, and
1: she's the oldest uh, woman to ever win a, that championship at, at her age at twenty one. She's absolutely an old timer, and nobody's won it that wasn't a teenager. Until, oh wow! Until until last night,
0: and wonder the ne- when are the next summer Olympics for that. Uh, Two year, Another year? Another year. year. So, I don't know. Exciting. Uh, well, cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll go a little bit back to serious um, and knock out these last couple questions. So, um, do you have a good resource or website um, that you can recommend? Could be dental related. It doesn't have to be. Um, something that you, uh, maybe you use a pretty good bit. Um, anything you can think of?
1: You know, I try to, not one singular thing. I try to keep my, uh, uh, be aware of all the old trends that we talked about and, and, and keep up on technology and so forth by dealing with directly with suppliers and IT guys and so forth. But as far as, um, you know, as far as a resource that I use all the time that's specific to, you know, dental, probably not. Mm-hmm. Probably not. I, I really keep up with the different schools that we're talking about in design uh, what the consultants are, are pushing and what, what's going through the different seminars out there and being very well of, aware of, of what those trends are. And, and uh, and, uh, and it's funny cause a lot of those trends are just, they're old trends that are kind of back and, and, and so forth. But I don't know if that's a good answer, but to to be honest with you, nothing directly. I look at a lot of design stuff as far as the aesthetic design. Yeah. Uh, and very interested in architecture and in art in general, and and just that whole uh, that whole genre, and then how we can apply it to a dental practice, how we can apply this cool idea to an optic optical or a vet clinic, you know, whatever we're whatever we're doing. Um, so I really you know I, I travel a lot. I try to look at the you know, different. I try to look at different offices when I'm traveling around, and, yeah. and, and you know what's what's trendy, what's cool. That's cool. I think It's good.
0: Um, what about a, uh, a book could be, uh, business or personal growth, or it could be, uh, just something that is a favorite of yours that, um, you know, I think, uh, Dr. Terry Lee mentioned Hinder's Game on his, he's a sci-fi guy. So for him, it was kind of a turn your mind off from the, the personal growth stuff. And, you know, just, ease your brain and entertain yourself. So is there a, a book that you'd recommend out there? You know, as far as, uh, I'm not nearly as smart as Dr. Lee, uh, <laughs> but I
1: like that. I like his answer. I'd like to adopt that. No, uh, you know, as far as business, I've been going through, um, there's a book called traction, uh, that I think is, is phenomenal. Um, and it's about setting up operating systems and holding people accountable. I think it's great for people starting a business, you, you doctors that are starting practices, uh, And I've, I've literally, I've read it two times, and I've listened to it like four or five times in the last six months. Oh Because wow. it's just a, it's just full of nuggets of gold, man. And uh, there's a series of books in there, but uh, Traction is the main one, and um, and I've gotten a huge amount out of. it. I've read all kinds of like self help books and all these business books, and you know, there's always a flavor de jour, but this is really kind of really common sense and the things you you just don't know as you're setting up a business and even though I've been in business for 18 years I've kind of gone through different operating systems and how we how we work and so forth and and to deal with where we're at with our growth and we were hitting some some ceiling issues which you hear about people hitting the ceiling happens in every business no matter how good your people are no matter how well your systems are you're gonna get busy the markets gonna change and you know you have issues. Every 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 business does. Or just growth issues. You could run really well as as a million dollar practice, but two years later, if you're doing two and a half million dollars, you don't have the key systems in place and people and so forth and accountability. It's it's tough. So um, it brings me back to what I was saying. It's, it really is a format for just a simple format for your whole company to follow. For me as a as a business owner, I'm I try to to not work in my business and I'm working on the business a lot um, and I'm kind of the visionary for my business which is, is one of the things I've identified uh, through traction and and also I'm kind of the uh, uh, the integrator which a lot of people are in businesses a lot of owners are and so forth and I think that's really good for you as a doctor starting to practice out you really got to be able to train the whole culture of your office and then the your assistants and the people that are billing and all the ancillary people we work with they kind of all need to be on the same page. So you, as a business owner, kind of have to integrate. You can't just hide in your in a room and see patients, or in your office and expect your staff to know what to do. Um, there's just a lot of interesting things in this book, and and it's been really a kind of a game changer for us. Uh, we've got a, actually, it's been longer than that. It's been we've been working with a consultant that's related to that book for over a year now, and it's been it's been really it's kind of my bible here lately. So, nice.
0: Uh, well, we'll have to uh, find it and, and put a link traction in the in the show notes. So if you're interested in uh, checking that out, look for the link in the show notes. Uh, another link I want to be able to give is um, your website. If you want to plug it, uh, I know you guys recently updated it, so it looks sharp.
1: Uh, it does. It does. You know, or this one of those things hitting the ceiling, and there's all practices. So we've kind of updated our website. What is my website? www.hmgeneralcontractors.com. I guess. Well,
0: um, well, hell. Let's look let's it up. Look, let's
1: look it up. Um, but it, it, it really highlights. Uh, it's 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 more much more user friendly, um, and it's the content on there is really good. It's quick to go through. It's easy to browse through. You can see um, you can see a lot of examples of our work and kind of our proven processes. And, and a, there's some. Cool drone shots of our ground up work that scroll along the bottom, um, and uh, it's just it's a good representation of again the the niches that we're in. The veterinary uh, it shows a little it shows our office staff, our design team, uh, it shows uh, dental offices, optometric practices, and so forth. And uh, but it, we're excited about this new website. We'd had the same tired website that we just kind of put band-aids on for years <laughs> and so this the
0: the new one we're, we're much more excited about it yeah it's sharp yeah, uh, I appreciate it i'll plug it uh hm general Thank so you, Drew. so now we know for sure i will put a link in the show notes to uh to hm's website and uh, go check it out and then typically i ask people you know if um, if someone's interested in contacting you, what's the best route? I see a contact tab on the website. Is that the best way to go? Or it is, uh, and they will immediately hook you. The if you call the office, they will immediately take your basic
1: information, and somebody will call you right back. If somebody's available, they will call. They will pick up. they take the call. But that's a really a good way to hit us. If you're on the website, just click on and contact us through the website, and that's that's a that's a a lot of people browse at night. If you do that, in a, in a, it will, we'll will send an email out to you immediately and set up a time to talk with you the next day, the next morning. And I think that's a good that's a that's a more immediate way to do it instead of having to pick up your phone and call. Just click on and send. You just have to leave some basic information, and we'll get right back to you. Yep, that's awesome.
0: Um, well, that will be in the show notes. Um, last thing is, we just typically. Uh, as for a parting piece of advice, so some people go business-related with it, some people talk about family, so whatever you want, our listeners are anywhere from um, third, fourth years to people who have multiple practices, um, so any parting piece of advice you have.
1: You know, I think it's, it's uh, um, for me, um, you know, business kind of takes over a lot of things and kind of... Uh, Workaholic, like a lot of people, a lot of business owners. So you guys, as entrepreneurs, want know your practice. I think you will fall into that a lot. I think just having balance in, in your life, with your family, uh, with your own personal health, and the things you are that you enjoy, along with business. In my case, I'm getting, I'm older, you know, and it's in and I'm refocusing on my business more than I had in the last few years. But there's nothing wrong with that. Like I really enjoy business. I really like integrating and working with my staff and. I still work with new clients coming in so because I really like to do that. So I've looked at my time and I've kind of divided it up and the things I don't want to do that I think are a waste of time, I delegate them out and then I focus on more personal interaction with, with clients coming in, like I said, and really trying to develop my staff in, in different different ways and, and so forth. But, you know, maybe balance, um, you know, uh, but in my opinion, because, you know, knowing myself, uh, being a workaholic doesn't mean that you're out of balance, but you certainly don't want to miss out on your life and mm-hmm. kids growing up and school and all those things that are so important. Uh, uh, but you know, your, your kids can learn a lot from other people too.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's true. So, well, that's awesome. Um, you know, always a pleasure, Mike. And so, uh, thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. And, uh, like I said, if you want to get in touch with, uh, Mike or his team over at HM, hmgeneralcontractors.com. Go check that out. Click the contact tab, and uh, they will get you hooked up. Mike man, thank you so much for coming on. A ton of good information on here. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate
1: you having me, Drew. And, uh, and uh, you know, appreciate the time and, you and, uh, know, and this professionalism. It's just been really enjoyable. Not a problem. Thank you.
0: All right, that was episode 30. I want to thank Mike Newhouse again for joining me on this episode. Go check the show notes for a link to their website, a link to Excite Realities website, and also I'd like to point out a couple of episodes to check out uh, the interview with Ryan Serhant from Million Dollar Listing New York. There's an opportunity to win some of his books, there's still time to get your name in on that. Then also, episode 26 i believe the casting call the calling all doctors episode we're still looking for people to talk to we've had some great conversations and lining up some interviews with some of those people to get them on the podcast so we'd love to continue to do that get in touch with us there's a link in the show notes and again as always thank you thank you thank you for the support we'll see you guys next tuesday